Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talkin' Trash with Waste Dive, a look at some of the most hotly debated news and developments in the waste and recycling industry. I'm your waste diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we're recording today. It's the Tuesday after the long Labor Day weekend. Um, it was a much needed long weekend, I'm sure for you as well, Cole. You know, we had a few busy weeks of news coverage, especially coverage on a topic that everyone in the industry is thinking about more than ever, which is China. So as many listeners know, um, in late July, the Chinese government announced plans for an import ban on 24 material categories. And since then, companies and trade associations in the industry have been working to figure out what that ban means. So a few key things remain unclear, like when the policy will actually be phased in and put in place, if quality specs will be 97% or 99.7%. So in light of the uncertainty, associations such as ISRI and SWANA have filed their own comments to the World Trade Organization, expressing concerns and calling for more time to comply with the ban. Um, Mixed paper and plastics are seen as the most vulnerable commodities in this policy, and some groups have predicted that the lack of Chinese markets could lead to short-term landfilling or incineration of these materials in some areas, while others have said that it's an alarmist approach and this heightened focus on quality is overdue. So this seems like a policy that everyone has an opinion on with all kinds of possibilities for what might happen. So Cole, you were able to hear some of these opinions last week when you were in Minneapolis for the Resource Recycling Conference. Can you touch a bit on what people were saying? This was a frequent topic in most of the sessions I attended and many of my conversations throughout the week. I was curious how the news would play heading into this conference because so far a lot of the comments we've seen from some of the industry's bigger companies and some municipalities have been more mild, whereas the trade associations are a little more concerned. Though it seemed like the more people I talked to, it became clear that part of this difference is because the effects are still so unknown and also because they'll likely be felt farther down the supply chain by processors rather than, say, cities or companies. Another factor I remain curious about is what this will mean for the creation of more domestic end markets. We hear so much about the talk of closed-loop recycling systems. So far, this seems to be more relevant to smaller regional companies than the larger players. And now, without getting into all the nuances of trade policies and market predictions, it's fair to say that this is at the top of everyone's mind, like you said, and could soon affect how some people run their businesses in a different way. Though, for all the attention it's been receiving in the industry, it still doesn't seem to be getting much play in Washington. Well, that's not surprising, I guess, but why do you think that is? Well, according to the last session of the conference uh, where we heard from Barnes Johnson of the EPA and Representative Keith Allison of Minnesota, they said there are just so many other things going on right now that they really have to trust industry experts to sort it all out. They don't have time or the bandwidth to be focusing on this. Here is what Representative Allison told me after the conference ended. So you heard a little bit about China and there. Everyone's freaked out in our world. Yeah. Does that come up much in your world? People talking no, about this in Congress? Not that much. Why do you think that is? Well, it is really important, but I mean, the thing is, is that, look, man, uh, a week ago we were talking about the KKK in Charlottesville mm-hmm. and what Trump's had to say about that. A week before that, he's talking about fire and fury against North Korea. We are in a crisis mode, which limits our ability to think long term and deeply about critical issues facing our world. So we know that associations and companies have been working with various federal agencies to inform them of what this all could mean, but it sounds like it won't become a big talking point in the Capitol building anytime soon. Exactly. 
So as the industry and our team, you know, works to get a better understanding of where this is headed next, it's helpful to try and understand the bigger picture. Operation Green Fence in 2013 already set the stage for this in many ways, as many of our listeners will know. That brought its own wave of effects that have shaped how the industry is today. It's true, and many would say that the industry has adapted since then and has been dealing with new national sword limitations this year. So did you get the sense that people were any more concerned about this latest announcement? I did, partially because there are more unknown factors compared to the last shift during Green Fence. For more on this backstory and what the latest policy may mean, I spoke to a former reporter that covered the recycling industry and is now Vice President of Industry Collaboration for the Recycling Partnership, someone who I'm sure many of our listeners will know. Dylan DeThomas said that leading up to Green Fence, high prices caused companies to pump greater volumes through their MRFs, sometimes with lower quality, and single stream also played a factor as well. So when President Xi came to power, things started to change. That policy shift may have had a silver lining then, though DeThomas was less sure about whether the same could be said for this newest one. China has a desire to consolidate and aggregate and, uh, and have centralized things, you know. And uh, plastic recycling in particular in China is not consolidated. Fiber recycling is. The infrastructure is very large. The investments in it is incredibly large. And that's not as much of an issue. But with plastics, it's smaller, mom and pops. They were trying to clean up their own system. And in that, they were also trying to clean up the materials that were coming in. And it worked. It really did. I I, I thought at the time that it was a bit of a silver lining for uh, U.S. recyclers because it forced us to clean up our act with National Sword. The reason I'm nervous is that it came fast and it seems to be complete. Green Fence was semi-permanent, but a lot of folks kind of said the Green Fence is here to stay, but it didn't really stay stay in that materials were able to move. They just moved slower. They had to be cleaner, but they were able to work that out. This this just seems to be, by orders of magnitude, more serious and more permanent than the green fences. And I have cause for concern, especially with plastics recycling, because to me, the, the, the national sword is accelerating an issue that we already knew about, that the plastics recycling industry already knew about. And there were already work being done to see what could happen or what could be done to help especially olefins recycling, so polyethylene and polypropylene recycling, where the super low energy prices and what is a tsunami, what a lot of people are saying, of virgin olefins coming on the market, that has driven prices down so low that they can't compete. There's no way they can compete. And we're in a situation right now where it's, it's extremely critical that though that segment of the recycling industry has to be supported and it really needs its help. And National Sword has just kind of taken the situation and, and made it accelerated a bad situation. So the MRFs are getting a little bit of a hit, but MRFs tend to be larger operations and not as reliant. Whereas when you're a, a reclaimer, say a polyethylene reclaimer or a polypropylene reclaimer, if you're not diversified and that's the only resin you're playing in, this is going to have a larger and more direct impact. I, I think one of the important takeaways that I would like to impress is that I, I feel that we need demands pull. There needs to be a home for this PCR. So not just resin, but any content, you know, and we have to figure out ways to be able to draw the material through the system. When I think of recycling as a system, I always think of end markets at the top because the end markets or what are pulling the materials, it's what's going to incentivize the MRFs to be able to 
try to work with their communities, to work with our haulers, to work with the cities, to make sure that these materials are pulled through because they have value. So we see a responsibility that we are increasing this supply and we want to make sure that we're working with our great partners out there. I help manage a project called Asterix, Applying Systems Thinking to Recycling, with my colleague Trina Mata over at SPC. And this is a piece of those elements. That's what we've identified. And so, again, you can't have one without the other. You know, you can't just have supply. If we pick it up on the curb and it goes through a MRF and it gets bailed and it's sold into market and then that reclaimer makes a product that's supposed to go into something and it doesn't, then what we did, all of that's for naught. The environmental benefits that come from recycling come from replacing virgin materials. And so that is why it exists. That is why we're doing what we're doing. So that idea of working with different stakeholders to pull more through the system is interesting. And that seems to tie into what we've heard about the need for more domestic end markets. Were companies talking about that much at the conference? I'd say some more so than others, which uh, may have had something to do with geography. The Minneapolis-St. Paul area has more end market options than some others in other parts of the country. So the local companies I talked to had a higher ratio of domestic buyers. Though that doesn't mean they won't still be affected too. I talked to Bill Keegan, president of Demcon, about what his company is doing to stay current. Demcon was recently in the news for partnering with the Carton Council to install the second carton-grabbing robot in the country at their Murph in Minnesota. You know, I think there will be impacts, but, but similar to Green Fence, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, I think there's, there's going to be a short-term market disruption, and then I think we're going to see probably an improvement in the quality of the global uh, recycling. Okay. Um, you know, my understanding is that there's other... Uh, areas in the world that have poorer quality than we do, so I think by and large uh, the United States will probably fare pretty well. Uh, China's still going to have a need for import. They don't have enough domestic supply in China to meet their needs, so it's going to basically be imported by those that are meeting the quality standards. So does that change the way you do business? Sounds like after Green Fence a lot of folks are already kind of up their game on quality. How much uh, further can you go at this point? Well, you know, I, I think you can. I think okay. there's rooms to improve and I think we're uh, you know, a position where we've set ourselves up to be a quality provider, so I, that's why I'm maybe less concerned. We base our relationships with our end markets on high quality product. And so, you know, I, I feel pretty good about our position in it. I think if you're a high production facility and haven't paid as much attention to quality, and I'd be more concerned and there's more changes that are needed. Our company's a third generation family-owned company. We've been around the processing business for a long time, but the single stream MRF has been four years. And uh, that facility had its first retrofit three months into operation. <laughs> so not our plan, but uh, and, and it was well designed. Uh, we turned out we didn't have enough storage on the back end for the accounts we received, so we ended up expanding the warehouse. And since then, we've probably had updated equipment and new equipment installed uh, at least once a year, if not twice. And then just finally, there's a lot of talk with China, it seems to have brought up the idea of finding more, more ways to keep it domestic. What's your kind of ratio on that, and how much factors that for you? We're about 90 to 95% domestic markets, and uh, we establish, uh, we don't go through brokers, so we okay. establish direct relationships with the end market. Um, we stay domestic, and even beyond that, we really try to stay local whenever we can. Uh, there's not enough local markets to meet all the demand. We don't have a PET bottling plant in, in Minnesota. But, um, 
even staying domestic, I still think we'll feel the pressures of China because you're going to have more supply. So it's going to drive that price down. And when the economics go down, you really need to have a sustainable uh, model for your recycling facility. And I think that's where we've seen an industry shift. What we want is a nice, steady business model where we can uh, weather the bad markets. In the good markets, you don't see the upside either, but it's a steady, sustainable model. And so that's where we position ourselves. And I think that uh, you know the impacts of China and the extra supply and the depressed commodity pricing will probably be actually weathered better than it was with Green Fence because of that retooling of the model. Another factor with having access to these end markets is what lengths companies will go to in creating them. During my visit, we got to tour the Eureka Recycling Murph and hear about how their environmental and labor standards drive their business model. The company makes a point of ensuring their material goes to select end markets, pays their employees high wages with good benefits rather than relying on temp workers, and is frank with communities about not accepting certain categories of plastic that are normally taken in many single stream programs. Kate Davenport, co-president of Eureka, said that because of this nonprofit model, she was less concerned about China affecting the business and actually saw potential for it to raise industry standards. We have contracts with the, the local West Rock Mill in the city of St. Paul for most of our material uh, and from a fiber perspective. And so from a movement perspective, we're not concerned. Um, but fiber is a global commodity, so anytime there is going to be impact to price, that'll funnel right through to us. All of our pricing is based off of uh, pulp and paper watch index. And so, you know, we will watch it just like anybody else in terms of just how it impacts markets globally. From a zero waste perspective and as a MRF that operates from that perspective, the pushback on quality we don't think is a bad thing, actually. Um, and when we saw the green fence happen a few years ago in regards to plastic, we felt like it actually resulted in a lot more transparency around where material goes and how it gets processed, what it get, turns into. And that quality pushback from China had a positive impact for the market in general here in terms of producing more quality bales on the plastic side. We're not necessarily against selling to China. We just feel like when we sell material that there needs to be transparency in terms of where it goes, what it gets turned into, and how that's happening, how people are treated in the process, what are, what are the environmental impacts of it. Um, we prefer to sell locally in terms of a local economic development benefit, not necessarily because we have something against selling material to China or anywhere else overseas. People want to see more domestic end markets come out of this. Seems to be quite a bit happening here in Minnesota. How much of a role has your company played in that? How much do you think companies should play in trying to develop those? I think they should absolutely play a role in it. Um, I think our relationship with West Rock is a really good example. Um, the West Rock Mill in St. Paul has been there for over 100 years. It employs over 300 people um, in the metropolitan area, so it's a staple in the community. They actually also were a lender to us when we went and upgraded to single stream. They helped finance that that upgrade um, because they got a guarantee of good quality material and supply. And if you ask Westrock, they'll say that that supply contract actually helps secure the longevity of that facility. Um, because a lot of paper mills used to directly get paper from markets. Um, and that has obviously decreased as we've gone to single stream. And so there is absolutely a role there for MRFs and even city programs to look at regional or local markets and help secure that supply. By the city of St. Paul and the city of Minneapolis contracting with us, they also, through that mechanism, were 
helping to guarantee that the material was going to a local mill and securing those jobs, that tax base, all, all of the revenue and local economic development benefit that that brings. So it sounds like smaller regional companies may be less affected depending on where they're located, but what do you think that it means for the larger players? Well, because of their size, these companies are more apt to be sending larger volumes overseas already. Though, since some have already switched to revenue-sharing contracts and moved away from the perceived financial risk of recycling, they might be better positioned to weather the shift. It's also possible that they, or the brokers they work with, will just find new homes for this material elsewhere in, say, Southeast Asia, India, or beyond. For insight into these larger operations, I talked to Pete Keller, Vice President of Recycling and Sustainability for Public Services. Following the recent announcement that Republic will be acquiring ReCommunity, the largest private recycling company in the country, they're about to be even more involved in recycling markets. I talked to Keller by phone after the conference to get his reaction. You know, it's something that's been on the radar for a long time. We've been tracking it for a long time. It's just been a little, a little bit of mixed messaging, and I don't think I don't think anybody's you know trying to be disingenuous, malicious, or, or or whatnot. It's just I think some of the initiative that the government is is moving forward is just real time, right? It's just a dynamic situation. So there will be some impacts. I think most of the impacts will be short term in nature. Um, you know, folks that maybe don't trade as often or uh, at quantities, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll suffer. It'll be a little bit more challenging. Um, my suspicion, and, and, you know, a suspicion is that there will be fewer buyers. Um, you know, another thing that we're hearing is there's fewer licenses being issued in China, import licenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fewer, fewer buyers means, you know, more consolidated uh, sell channels. Um, theoretically could mean less demand, but I think that, I think demand in country kind of settles out, it settles out nearer term as opposed to longer term. You know, and I said it at the conference, I think the markets, particularly for the non-OCC fiber grades, are going to be pretty lumpy uh, the fourth quarter of this year. What does this do for your job, trying to look a few months into the future? You know, certainly gain, gain more clarity would be helpful to the entire industry. We've tried to be as proactive as we can be with our customers and, and with our partners on, on the sell side of the business. So for us, it's just been you know a lot more communication, a lot more than normal, right? You think about all the customers that we service as well, right? And the, the sustainability minded customers, the customers that are committed to recycling, and we don't want to let those folks down. I've, some folks have talked to me, so they, they think this might kind of force even higher quality kind of across the board, you know, raise the tide for everyone. Does that... Is that something on your mind that you might need to invest in new equipment or kind of tighten specs even more at some of these facilities? Certain specification that, that requires investment or requires us to run differently or requires us to put additional labor um, in those facilities, then those are all things that we'll look at. And some of it you can do, you know, immediately. And uh, some of these investment opportunities, I mean, even if you identify them and say you're going to do them, they can take months to complete. But yeah, those are all things that we're looking at for sure. There seems to be a mixed reaction on how much of a role companies should play in being proactive about finding new end markets, and you know, particularly domestically. How does Republic approach that? More end markets are better than less, mm-hmm. right? So the the analogy I like to use is I'd rather be sitting on a stool with three legs as opposed to one with one, right? There's any number of things that we do. We work with brand owners. We work with packaging companies. Obviously, we're working with municipalities and policymakers at at the state level. It's not easy to, to to make markets, right? 
think the term I used earlier this week was silver bullet, right? Um, I, there's just not a lot of examples in the U.S. of those those neat little closed loop systems where you know a regional player or even a national player created a, created an end market and ultimately just produces a material for a local consumer that gets turned into a product. You know, those things sort of self-identify themselves rather than being created top to bottom by an entity or, or a couple of entities. So basically, as you've heard today and seen in our stories over the past month or so, nobody quite knows what's going to happen. The policy has its benefits and downsides, and depending on who you talk to, some are bigger than others. We'll keep following along in our regular coverage to see what happens next. Right. And if you have any thoughts on China or insights on how the policy is affecting your business or municipality, definitely feel free to get in touch with us. And in the meantime, be sure to check out our daily newsletter on WasteDive.com if you're not already a subscriber. And then you can also download the free Industry Dive mobile app, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. So until next time, I'm your Waste Diva, Kristen Muslin. And I'm your garbage enthusiast, Cole Rosengren. And this was Talkin' Trash.